John Podhoritz is a syndicated columnist who writes for the New York Post. He is the editor of Commentary Magazine. And lest we forget, he is also the film critic for a weekly standard. And I enjoy his reviews enormously, even when we disagree. Uh, John, it's great to talk to you, though somewhat difficult circumstances. Yes, well, it's always always a pleasure to talk to you. Just, uh, I was just thinking about how um, how I met you in in Venice near your house. I think <laughs> it's like nineteen ninety three, ninety two, ninety three. It, so it would be a quarter century. It would be right around there. That's exactly yeah. right. Uh, don't you don't you don't have to date us too much, but we're about to do worse than that by going back to 1968. I first right. wanted to correct something that that I had done. It's a correction about a correction, and I had read when I was reading people the outrageous uh, uh, editorial in the New York Times. I was reading the corrected version. They posted the editorial, and it was originally much worse. Because in the previous, prior to correction, and it got corrected because there was a storm of protest, as there should be. Here's the original version. uh, version. It says, in 2011, when Jared Lee Loeffner opened fire in a supermarket parking lot, grievously wounding Representative Gabby Giffords and killing six people, including a nine-year-old girl, the link to political incitement was clear. And there was no link to political incitement. No one ever established a darn thing. And and the guy who this Jared Lee Loeffner was a head case. He was somebody with a big psychiatric history, and he was a stoner. So you could say the the use to habitual marijuana use was clear, right? I mean, but they didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, right. what what is why are they so insistent on trying to blame Sarah Palin of all people for the shooting of Gabby Giffords? Okay, so this was, if you remember, so this happened in 2011. It was just after the uh, Tea Party victory that the Republicans scored in taking over the House. Um, And uh, the shooting of Giffords represented, I think, uh, a political opportunity to Democrats and liberals, not all that different, or it seemed to them, from the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, which followed the Gingrich Revolution in which the Republicans took over the, you know, the House and Senate in 1994, where Bill Clinton found his sea legs again by saying that Timothy McVeigh was a representative of the worst impulses on the right, as represented by Rush Limbaugh. Right, it, and that it, actually helped Clinton. And so Gabby Giffords was aha. You see, Sarah Palin, who was big news at the time, is responsible for Jared Lochner killing or shooting Gabby Giffords. Right, so. It was not true. Uh, it was also not true about Limbaugh, but in this case, it was factually untrue that Lochner had ever seen this image of a target or a bullseye on various congressmen's faces that was in a you know fundraising email. I don't even think it was on faces. I think that the it was wasn't it on something on no, a map? It was districts. It, it was, was a districts. map. Yeah, they were looking at congressional districts. districts that had targets on them. Right. And this was so. This was the stretch of all stretches, and you know it was outrageous. So here we are in 2017, and there is this event in which a person who was unambiguously stirred to violent action by his political views. We I don't think there's any question about that. that no, he had 14 letters to his local. He had 14 letters to his yeah. local newspaper with the main theme: uh, uh, "Tax the rich, tax the rich." 
uh, yeah. roll back the one percent. He he said in one of his letters to the editor, Rachel Maddow was his favorite show. Right, and he and he was a member of a Facebook group called Terminate the Republican Party. So there it is. So instead of sort of dealing with that or saying, you know, uh, something bad is happening, here's the story, they dug back into the recent past to try to create a parallelism, right? Well, no one side is uniquely, you know, is unique, unique with this kind of hate and violent hate. Why in 2011 uh, Gabby Giffords was shot because of Sarah Palin? So – uh, in 2017, the Republicans were fired at, and Steve Scalise was critically wounded by a Democrat. So and no one has a no one has a monopoly on this. That that's the purpose. Of but it's, it, right? an, now, but it's all it's all based upon that lie from six years ago right. with the shooting of Gabby Giffords. And and by the way, that was one of Barack Obama's better speeches. I thought when he went to Tucson and he right, didn't to the gym, the school gym. Yeah, and he and he and he explicitly said this. You know. It was a mental health speech. Correct. And and he right. did not – that was not one of Obama's speeches where he said if, if we have more gun control, this problem will go away or blaming it entirely on guns. It was more a talking about the toxicity of some of our public discourse, which you talk about in your column as well. We've posted John's column up at our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, very quickly before we go to a break, John, what is the relevance of 1968? You were seven years old. In well, I was seven years old, and I was thinking that my son is about to turn seven. And, you know, it, 68 was, I think, you know, in terms of sort of chaotic, nightmarish, violent, internal violent American news, the worst year probably in American history. You had the two assassinations of RFK and Martin Luther King Jr. You had the riots that followed King's assassination that set 10 cities on fire. You had massive protests against the Vietnam War, some of which turned very violent. You had um, the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago in which there was a wildly violent confrontation between police and, and demonstrators. And, and it, was, it was scary. I was there. And it was it, – it, the entire thing was, was frightening almost beyond belief. And, and it was part of the reality of the 1960s. But we're not there yet. We don't no, have we're certainly that. not there yet. The thing was, there was something about this, you know, um, breaking through the barriers of sort of the political rage that we all know is coursing through the body politic um, that this guy Hopkinson really pulled, happened, right? I mean, he sort of moved from Facebook hate to actual political violence you know, with with a with a long gun. Right. And, he, um, and you what feel I, like that's a crossing of a barrier. And then the question is, is he a one off or is has he now personified or articulated or done something that is then going to be copied, is going to be responded to? And it feels like we're on the precipice of something really bad. And, and let me – I, I want to disagree with you, and we okay. will pursue that disagreement when we come back. 34 minutes after the hour on The Michael Medved Show, speaking with John Podhoretz over a, um, an important column that he has written under the heading, It Feels Like America is Descending into Chaos. Is he right? 1-800-955-1776. John, I I wanted to just lay out very quickly um, why I disagree with the analogy with uh, 1968 
and why I don't think that the chaos and anger and rage and divisiveness is as serious and as deadly as it's often been made out in this country right now, and why it's so different from 1968. 1968, the violence, and I think you'll agree with this, was driven by two main issues. One, of course, was the Vietnam War. In 68, there were weeks where we would lose 400 American dead in a week, in a week. Uh, virtually every week, more than 100 uh, young men were, were coming home uh, dead. And uh, it, it was a, a, a very serious war. The country was very seriously divided about it. This was an issue of life and death, war and peace. It was a profound issue. The other issue, of course, that was dividing the country were frustrations about the civil rights revolution. We had had a civil rights bill. We had a march on Washington. We had Dr. King. And then all of a sudden people realized, as Dr. King said, uh, it's great if you're able to sit at a lunch counter, but it doesn't matter if you can't buy a hamburger. And uh, Dr. King was in the process of trying to transfer, and then you had the, the, the focus of the civil rights movement to economic issues. You had the Watts riots. A, a lot of frustration about America's most persistent and most painful national problem, which is racism and what to do about it and racial equality, etc. What I would, would argue is that none of the issues that we face today are profound. None of them are unbridgeable. I mean, if you were to say, what is the, 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 the big thing that is dividing America right down the middle, why people are hating each other, and you want to say, what, it's, uh, 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 President Trump's latest tweet? I, I, there's, what, what is the, the, the big right. divide that is at, uh, soul deep today? Okay, listen, I am totally with you. I don't think that the circumstances are anywhere near as uh, vital or as you know, dangerous or as or as high stakes as, as 1968, but there is in the national mood something very different, this big sort that people talk about where, where it is no longer the case that people live cheek by jowl with others who have views different from them. Um, they live very much uh, sociologically and personally separate lives from people who think otherwise from them. Um, you know, there are now something like a majority of the dis of the of the sort of counties in the United States, or something like that, go sixty or seventy percent for one party or the other, and um, and I don't think there's any question that the that the hatred of uh, that the hate level of ordinary or I would call sort of ordinary people toward uh, people of a different party is at a level that is entirely new. And 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 I would I would argue deeply irrational. Let's go quickly to Chuck in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Chuck, you're on the Michael Medved show with John Potharitz. Well, you know it's just a tragedy what happened. I mean, uh, I guess uh, Congressman is in his third surgery, and uh, you know he's in a lot of pain and doesn't really know the full extent of what's going to happen to him. And the, all the other people that were injured, it's it's a tragedy. But you know, to tell you the truth, I think uh, you know you guys on the right are almost giddy about the idea that there was somebody on the left and Bernie Sanders supporter that uh, you know did this uh, evil, evil deed. That's what it sounds like. What, did I don't, I, Chuck? I would disagree with you, I, John. Have you heard anyone who sounded giddy about this? I think I think I don't think it's uh, fair, certainly, to save me. That I'm giddy since I spent the day on Twitter yesterday, you know, 
saying that if you blame Bernie Sanders, you stink. And if you, if you, you know, if you imagine that there's any political hay to be gained from a tragedy of this sort, you know, that's extremely unbecoming. I do think that there is a kind of, aha, you know, we've been telling you, you keep saying that Trump is violating all these norms. Well, look what's happened here. And, you know, this is on you. You blamed us for this, and we're blaming you for that. And there is something that is, I think, unpleasant about that. Having having said that... I think we can acknowledge that there is plenty of blame to go around. We will be right back, and I won't let you finish your thought in just a moment. Speaking with uh, John Podhoretz uh, of the New York Post, the editor of Commentary Magazine, and uh, old friend and colleague about his uh, take on some of the 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 rage and the anger that has distorted American politics and political discourse very recently. Uh, let's go, if we can, to another caller from Columbus, Ohio. Don, in Columbus, Ohio, you're on the Medved Show with John Potharitz. Uh Yes, thanks for taking my call. Um, just wanted to ask you, why do you give Trump credit for speaking well one day when the same man says stupid rhetoric every day as president <laughs> and as a candidate, and his rhetoric has finally caught up with him? He has people literally trying to fight and kill each other, and Republicans act like he's not to blame. Uh, John Podarts, you want to take that one? Well, I mean, I, you know, I've spent like a, almost two years uh, yelling and screaming about how how bad Trump would be for the Republican Party, for the country, and very concerned about the nature of his presidency. So I I think, by the way, today is the two years to the day that he came down the escalator, um, which is an interesting, you know, landmark to be celebrating. So I don't know, you know, if Michael said he talked nicely, you know, given, given how much criticism he's received in certain quarters... You know, I mean, a guy, a stopped clock is right twice a day. And, but, and not, and not right only that, I, I uh, Don, and, and let me tell you this. You know this because I know you listen to the show and I appreciate your calls. I I am hoping and, in fact, praying that um, uh, President Trump will seize this opportunity uh, to reboot his presidency uh, because he needs to do that and needs to do that in the spirit of some of what he's saying. And I, by the way, I gave President Obama a great credit for his speech in Tucson at the time. I said that that was one of the best speeches uh, that I'd ever heard him give. And it, it was inspiring and touching and appropriate and it was well done. And uh, uh, I, I can only hope that President Trump will continue in some of this spirit where we're recognizing that political disagreements aren't the equivalent of uh, someone being an enemy. Um, John, one of the things, and you alluded to it, and it mystifies me. We heard all through the election campaign that voters are angry, they're angry, they're angry. It's anger, anger, anger. And that uh, Bernie Sanders was a very angry candidate. Donald Trump was an angry candidate. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what do you think, at, at at its core, the anger is about? I think it goes to some issue about people feeling as though uh, they are ignored, that their interests are not being taken into account, that they are not at the center of 
the debate or discussion uh, in the United States and that other people are taking center stage. And I think this is a very noxious and destructive attitude since the fact is that what you don't want people to be at the center stage of American politics. American politics should be about you know, managing our freedoms and not about you know, providing benefits to people based on their race or gender or you know, financial position, really. And so uh, you know, we've gone to a place in which people basically are saying, they're saying, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? And like... And, and and as is true of all, you know, narcissistic societies, that is not a very helpful way to think about how, you know, you should live your life and go about your daily life. I appreciate it. Let's go to Joe in Omaha, Nebraska. Joe, you're on the Michael Medved Show with John Potharitz. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that you corrected that guy for saying the word giddy. I don't think anybody is giddy about the fact that some, that some Congress members were shot a couple of days ago. But what I do see is I think I see a lot of people on the left who aren't really sure how to respond to this. And I think we do have some people on the right who, while they're not giddy, they might be a little bit overexcited to be able to point fingers at the left and say, here, now we have an example of you guys messing up, too. I think until we see the behavior of shooting people in a public place, or shooting people, period, as unacceptable behavior, and we're able to see this tragedy for what it is, which is a simple tragedy, I don't think we're going to get past this you versus me rhetoric. I, no, I think that's, entire, I think that's entirely correct. And the, the other thing about this, and, and it's not – you're right, it's not a giddy reaction, but I think it, it is something that can come across this that's very positive – is the recognition with all of the focus on the congressmen and their families and what they felt and how they experienced it. And here are a bunch of guys obviously doing something pretty normal, which is practicing for a charity baseball game. And they're nice guys, and I know a lot of those people, and they really are decent people. Don't you think, John, it it returns focus on the fact that most people in politics, left, right, and center, are really trying in their own imperfect way to do the right thing. They're they're not in it just to get power and wealth. They they really do I mean, care. I, I I would very much hope that that was the case, and that's what that's what President Trump said yesterday. It would certainly is the first time in his you know two years in politics that he said anything remotely similar to that. And I think people depersonalize people they disagree with. It's not enough for them to say, and it's a terrible thing. I mean, it's not enough for them to say. I disagree with the solutions that so-and-so is proposing on the other side because I think they will make the country worse, not better. They, Im- they impute ill motive to people whose ideas lead them in a different direction. I think that many ideas are very wrong. I think that people shouldn't hold ideas that have been proven to be false and to be unworkable, like like socialism as an economic force. Yeah, but, uh, um, but the fact that some... very bad, but I don't think that that means that the people who hold those views hold them in bad faith for the purpose of enriching or empowering themselves. They believe in them. And yeah, they need and, to be and, defeated with argument, not with not with dismissal and contempt and hatred. You have two more days to sign up for the free new class, Introduction to the Constitution, taught by Larry Arn, a president of Hillsdale College. Sign up at medvedforhillsdale.com. That's medvedforhillsdale.com. A few moments more uh, talking about division, anger in politics, and more with my friend and colleague John Podhoritz. Let's go to Anthony in the Bronx. Anthony, you're on the Michael Medved Show with John Potharitz. 
How you doing, Michael? Doing Love okay. Your show. Thank you. Especially when I'm in uh, picking my daughter up from school, I like to have her here with both points. Thank you. Uh, both views. So um, basically, I have a quick two things. Um, first, it's hard for me to understand why this is not considered a terrorist act. It seems like when an act like this, uh, you know, terrorizes people and is a big thing, especially uh, against uh, politicians, that we just say, "Oh, it's a, a, a guy who went crazy. He's a shooter." But when it's a Muslim, they consider it a terrorist act. Um, my other point is is that this is one of my theories that I have that I think that we should get rid of these political parties, Republican and Democrats, Independents, and just I believe that you know if we're united we stand and divided we fall. If we keep both sides going at each other, it's just dividing the country and causing you know heinous acts and people to react on another person just because they're a Democrat or Republican. Okay, those are two two great challenges, two great questions. John, you want to shoot at one? Okay, so one would be that we generally use the term terrorism to describe political acts that are not aimed at politicians. That is to say, terrorist acts are are usually uh, people trying to make a political point by aiming guns at um, ordinary people. And, uh, and there's another there's another aspect, people. if I can jump in, uh, which is that uh, the Islamo-Nazi terrorism is part of an organized world movement that specifically right. endorses the killing of civilians. N- no one, not Bernie Sanders himself or no one among the politicians that Hodgkinson supported, uh, really endorses the idea of shooting people at a baseball practice. The second question, and Anthony, this is a very, very profound question. Why not get rid of these political parties? I'll tell you why. Because people would have no clue who to vote for, for the state assembly in New York or for and for many people for their congressmen. Most Americans, the overwhelming majority, it's about 70 percent, cannot name their own representative in the House of Representatives. So on what basis do they vote since they can't name these people? Answer, they take a little shorthand. They say, oh, yeah, I'm leaning Republican or I am a Republican, so I'm going to vote for the Republican guy. John, you get the last word. Uh, the only thing I'd say is that the two-party system, you're right, that we, we're in a terrible uh, – it's in a terrible condition, and they don't know how to deal with each other. But the two-party system, which has basically governed this country or has been the governing force in this country for 160 years, 150 years, I believe, um, is one of the glories of the West. It has, it has, it has allowed the channeling of, um, of, of political feeling into uh, responsible – uh, mass movements as opposed to splintering and shattering the way they've done. Exactly right, like and, has, and has, has actually forced the building of coalitions and allowing people to work together on the federal, state, local level, which is necessary if we are going to build, sustain, and protect this greatest nation on God's green earth.